Good morning. Welcome to the house of the Lord. Those of you joining us online, good morning to you also. We are in the gospel according to Mark chapter 12. And if you have your Bibles, please open to the 12th chapter. We will take verses 28 to 34. Would you stand please at the reading of God's word? Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment, and the second is like it. Is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth. For there is one God, and there is no other but he. And to love him with all your heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength, And to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him. Please be seated. The first commandment. That first commandment. In preparation, I found myself wanting to talk about the devotional element of this section without really getting into the love part of the neighbor. My flesh wanted to skip that. It's easier to love God than some people. And you can give bad reasons to God why you think you should be excused and that won't work well. I guess another question you can ask yourself is, can you give a reason why you should be loved by God? Why should God love you? What's about you to love from a mighty God? And then ask the question, can you give a reason why you think you should be excused knowing that God loves you? Why should you be excused from loving those whom you don't like, who may even be uh, wicked? What does that mean? How does that all work out? How do I love people who are wicked without justifying their wickedness? Well, of course, the Holy Spirit will lead us through those things. He will balance it for us. The bottom line, I think, is very simple. In loving the wicked, you look for an opportunity to be useful to save them. Otherwise, you have to deal with them as they are in their wickedness. Otherwise, no justice could be carried out. There is no reason that God should love us except God is love himself and takes an entire Christian life to approach that, to develop it. We obey God not to be loved, but because we are loved. That's why we obey God. We know we're loved. It's it's a spiritual response to a spiritual thing. All of these things are superlative when you put them next to regular things. 
The things in Christ are supposed to be better and stronger, which is one of the reasons why when another Christian disappoints us, it seems to be doubly painful because we expected so much more from them being sons of light, children of righteousness, and yet we're still saddled with this flesh. And in those instances is when we must love nonetheless. And that's one of the reasons why I didn't want to deal with love. Because it is painful to my flesh, not to my spirit. The spiritual man loves everything God has to say, loves everything that God reveals. It is that old nature that rears its ugly head and defies everything that is righteous, any chance that it gets. And I spend my life, as every Christian does, fighting back. Paul told the the Galatians, you know, the, the flesh and the spirit, they're irreconcilable. These two are contrary to one another. They war without end. And you have no right to get tired of fighting the flesh. It's not to your benefit. That's why. The most important command... Not first enlisting. There are others listed, the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other God before me. I mean, there are, it's not talking about as being listed. It's talking about its value. Of course, within that first commandment is this commandment. So we have a lot to talk about this section, from this section. Verse 28, then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that, He answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Well, at the first part of verse 28, then one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together. Of course, Christ had faced this coalition of attacks with questions and challenges, and he he beat them all back using Scripture. The Scriptures that they were expected to know and honor and carry out, and they did not. Well, this particular scribe, who belonged to the, that scholastic group of, of Jews concerning the word of God, he had witnessed this and he was impressed. He was impressed by what he heard. Of all those that challenged the Lord, this one, this scribe, seems sincere with his question. The others were loaded questions. They were questions designed to discredit the Lord if not get him arrested, as they eventually will. These scribes and these Pharisees and Sadducees and the Herodians, these lawyers of the law, these scholars had endless debates about all sorts of things from the Bible, the Old Testament. The New Testament was not yet, uh, it did not yet exist and they questioned themselves, which is the first command? Which is the most, which one has the most weight? They counted 613 commandments of Moses, just Moses. And they would debate them. In the early days of the Jews, the ceremonial laws were deemed most important. But then as the people began to drift from serving the Lord and into idolatry, and with that, with their morals would follow... The prophets, the writing prophets, then penned their revelations for others to read. And then it shifted the weight from the ceremonial laws to the moral laws, to behavior. What's, what's, what, what is in our scripture that is important right now? Well, if you lived in the days of Jezebel, it was dealing with the idolatry. 
All of a sudden, you weren't arguing about, you know, which holiday is, is more, is deeper than the other. Now you were discussing, who, we are supposed to obey the Ten Commandments. And the prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and all the rest, uh, they dealt with these, these things. In the day of Christ, though, now what was happening, they were debating the Sabbath. They were debating tithing and dietary laws and purification rites while neglecting the more vital aspect of faith, of beliefs. Justice, morality, mercy, truth, and faith. These things we're susceptible to also. We can begin to argue the silliest things as Christians and pass right by the essential things. That first commandment. Jesus, in speaking about this kind of thing concerning these scholars in Matthew 23, said, Woe to you. That's... You can't overemphasize that woe coming from this, this one, this Jesus Christ. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You're, you're actors. You act like you're holy. You act like you're interested in God. You act this way, but you're not. That's what he means by hypocrites. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe and mint and niece and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you have done without, pardon me, these you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Yeah, you're supposed to follow all of, all of the law, the ceremonies, the Jews were to follow those ceremonies, but they were not supposed to leave the weightier matters of the law undone, which is what they were doing and is why they were such a problem and could not receive their Messiah. Because they were faking it. To this day, some do suppose that tithing or good deeds satisfies their obligations. There, I gave a lot of money to that church. I don't have to do anything else. Or there, I do this to the poor, and I do this at the, at the food pantries, or whatever it is it may be. And they think that they are excused now from the weightier matters of the faith. That first commandment. It is not by accident in the title I have that first commandment. Put a little emphasis, a little oomph into it for us so we don't lose it because we're too familiar with these things. Jesus spoke to the church at Ephesus through John in the Revelation. He said to the church at Ephesus, you're doing a lot of stuff down there at that church. You can't even stand the liars that come down and say, oh, I'm an apostle, but they're not. You deal with those guys. Right on. But I got something against you, and it's big. In fact, it's a deal breaker. Because if you don't fix this one, all the others are going to go away. In fact, if you don't fix this one, I'm going to leave you in darkness. I'm going to take your lampstand from you. And what was it? It was love. You left your first love. That commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. You're supposed to throw everything you have into this. And you have not been doing it. You've been doing these other things in my name. Without loving me. So what good are they then? Because if you don't have love, what do we have? What are we left with? So this scribe was sincere or sinister in his question, and I think it, 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 the story makes it clear he was sincere. He's not looking to trip up the Lord, not trying to discredit him, 
but actually interested. What having observed how he handled scripture, this man was attracted to that because he understood. You can have all the church you want with all the music you want. If you take away the word of God, you don't have church anymore. You have to have God, what God says. That's what the Bible is. It's what God says. And it is forceful and it is effective. And one of the most discouraging things about pastoral ministry is that in the early years, you think you're going to bring the word and it's going to change things on such a level. And people are just going to line up and get it and do what they're supposed to do. And then you find out it is a knockdown, drag out fight. But as painful as that is, and it is very painful, it's worth it. It is worth it. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of God stands forever. The Christians come, the Christians go, but the word of God stands forever. Pastors, they come, they go, but the work continues on because it is the power of God. It is the Holy Spirit. And these works are not in vain if there be love. Love hurts. Love is painful. And don't for one minute think that it is not. Love puts skin in the game. I love that I don't have pain. And I hate when I do have pain. As you, you know, Satan said to God about Job, you won't let me hurt him. Skin for skin. Put some skin in the game. Let's see if he still loves you. And Job did. Which makes him outstanding to us. It... Uh, is impressive that this man, this scribe, that he got it. And what that did is it took away the excuses of all the others who did not. If he could appreciate, if he could value the answers of Christ from Scripture, what was the problem with everybody else? It's a question, and it's a, it's a matter that we should be mindful when we find ourselves critics, when we find ourselves troublemakers. Or unhappy, we should ask ourselves, what about others? What are the, you know, how come they're, they're handling this well? Why can't I handle it well? So again, his reaction was uh, demonstrated not only his sincerity, but his integrity. And the Holy Spirit captures what he has to say. Instead of just ignoring his response when he says to the Lord, well done, well said. Instead of God saying, well, who cares what you think? It's what Christ said. No, God says, I want you to see what this man's reaction was. I've showed you the negative ones. Here's a positive one. And he only needs to give us one. He says here in verse 28, perceiving that he had answered them well. And, of course, that is him respecting the Lord's handling of attackers. What's the issue with unbelievers today when they come across the words of Christ? Uh, How can you refute them? To me, they're irrefutable. You can't beat them. The wisdom, the logic, the truth, the conviction behind them. That's one thing that God's word brings that I don't think any other uh, religious writing brings it all, is a, is a conviction. And that conviction is you are guilty. You have been tried. You have been weighed and found wanting. When the handwriting appeared in Daniel's day, many, many tekel you farsen, it was you are busted and you know it. That's what it was all about. That's why the king's knees knocked against one against the other. He was terrified. And they sent for Daniel. If there was no conviction, it would have said, who cares? That's impressive. Okay, let's go on with the party. 
And it says here that he asked him, which is the first commandment of all? First in value. Again, what is, where is the one with the weight? Where is the one that you cannot do without? To better understand God, you have to understand Scripture. That's the point. That's what, you know, we want to understand. I want this question asked, Rabbi, because I want to understand God better. And if there's any way I'm going to understand him, if I have any chance at that, it's going to come through his word. Oh, I can get the beginnings of it. There are other ways to begin to see God, to begin to see God. But if I'm going to develop that and enter into this relationship, I've got to hear what he says, and I've got to understand enough of it. Decades later, Luke will write about scholastic Gentiles, who all they did was spend their time uh, arguing points. They they loved to hear themselves talk, and, and they would judge others and posture themselves. Some, just like these Jewish scholars did. And my point is, not only did the Jews do these kind of things, pretend to be religious and pretend to be intelligent before God without the vital ingredients of love and submission and, and sincerity and integrity. Acts chapter 17, Luke just makes this, he throws this comment in when Paul had to deal with these, these guys. He says, For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. So they could never really enter into the depths of what God had for man, the knowledge, the relationship. They stayed with this on the surface, but they thought they were deep. Verse 29, Jesus answered the first commandment. The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, Yahweh, our God, Yahweh is one. Just incidentally, he's quoting Deuteronomy 6. And there the word in Deuteronomy 6 in the Hebrew for one is a compound one, not an absolute one, which is lends to the Trinity. And it's Elohim, plural, for God. And so even in Deuteronomy 6.4, you have this coming attraction, we could say, of the Trinity in the Old Testament. There are other places, but that's one. But this is known as the Jewish Shema. The Jewish, listen up. Israel, listen up. Hear, O Israel. They called it the Shema. The devout Jew would recite it three times a day. Twice a day, pardon me. Three sections of Scripture twice a day. Here, Deuteronomy 6.4, Numbers 15. 13 through 41, and again, Deuteronomy 11, 13 through 21. And they would take these verses and they would write portions of them and put them in little boxes and wrap them around their arm or tie them around their, up on their forehead called phylacteries because they believed this was the weight of their scripture and they were not entirely wrong. But what did they do with it? After a while, it just became a showpiece. True faith in God, the God of the Bible is centered in man's resolve, not man's feelings. Your faith is not about your feelings. Oh, it can have feelings. I'm a little nervous when I get around people who are emotionally driven because they just don't think. They stop thinking and they just feel. And that means they block out others. Others may not feel what they feel, but yet they demand they be put under the same guidelines or whatever is going on. And, and I don't want to be that guy. But at the same time, I'm not a stick. I want to be able to feel things too. 
but I want them to be right. And when I've got, you know, the, the lights are all uh, where they need to be and all the dials and knobs are on the, the settings they need to be, then I can have my, my brains and my feelings, I can have all of me begin to work in unison. I've got that rhythm now with truth and with who I am in Christ. So the Old Testament as well as the New Testament centers on man's will, not his desire to, you know, not what man wants, but the resolve of man when faced with the will of God. Is, a, is, is that individual going to submit? Christian love, Christian devotion, it is the pursuit of, of obedience, whether it gets there or not, it pursues nonetheless, regardless of how I feel. I, I know what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to pursue obedience. This word means a lot to me. What, what Christ is saying, this is the first word. If the feelings were central to my walk with Christ, and Christ could never command me to love. Love Agape love, Christian love, divine love, it's not an act of the emotions, it is an act of the will, my soul, who I am, me, my decision to follow. And love, this type of love, is, it's not only emotional. It, in fact, it doesn't have to be emotional at all. I know what I'm supposed to do, whether I like it or not. I love a person and ready to preach the gospel to that person, whether I like them or not, whether they have hurt me or not. If I have an opportunity to share the truth of God, hatred would withhold it. Love would disperse it, as painful as it might be. And others have gone down this road and they have pulled it off. They have done it. And so... God's word is centered in the will to comply, to surrender. God has no plan of salvation for the unsurrendered life. It belongs to those who say, he must increase, I must decrease. God must get larger in me and I must get smaller. And that is a good plan. Because the results, there's nothing like it. When you look at a man like Daniel and you say, how do you get to be like Daniel? Well, then you have to decrease. Yahweh has to increase. This is the story, Yahweh of the Old Testament, Jesus Christ in the New Testament, the same person. Verse 30 of Mark 12, And you shall love Yahweh your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. Within this great exhortation and commandment, within this profound answer that is just uh, easy enough for all of us to repeat and to understand, there's the great invitation of God to love us and for us to love Him back. That God can be loved by sinners because God is love. And so again, He says, you shall love Yahweh. What's the most important, Jesus? That you should love Yahweh. Who is Yahweh? Jesus Christ. We know that because the New Testament develops it. They had not yet gotten there. In fact, today, two of the reasons that Jews will say Jesus could not be the Messiah 
One is that he made himself equal with God. Well, he's following the Old Testament. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. I mean, just your own scripture, your Old Testament has it. Then the other one, they say, is he did not destroy the Romans. Well, we covered that so much already going through Mark. How they refused this man's authority because they wanted to dictate terms. He cannot be Messiah if he doesn't do what we say. And they lost as a result. But they hold this to this day, to this day. Judaism stands by these two points in rejecting Jesus as Messiah. It is rather thoughtless. It is rather mind. I don't mean that to be insulting. If it is, if, if it's taken, there's nothing I can do. The, tr- the truth doesn't care about how you feel. The truth is the truth. It makes a demand on the will of every single listener. Every person that hears the truth, instantly a demand is made. When you see that light turning yellow, the truth is speed up. When it turns red, <laughs> don't go through it. <laughs> you laugh because you're, you're innocent too. I just pulled it off this morning, as a matter. But anyway, I, you know, that's not an admission of guilt. Uh, anyhow, I asked one deputy. I said, when, "At what point at the yellow light do you do you bust them?" And he said, "Well, the back tire. If I understood him correctly, when the, if the back tires haven't crossed that the line, you know, I'm going to get them. So I just make sure my back tires get over that line, and." And that's going to be my defense when they pull me over, license and registration. Nope, my tires were over the line. Sorry. Okay, anyway, with all your heart. What does that mean? With all my heart? Well, it's everything you've got. That's the bottom line. You shall love God with everything you got. Let's pray. I mean, that would be it. But we're so complicated. We're so ready to pull things back, to not understand, to get confused by other things in our attempt to rightful attempt to balance the checks and balances of, of understanding, of knowledge. We have to explore and open up a little more. In ancient Hebrew thought, the heart was not just that organ in the chest that pumps blood. The heart was the seat of human intelligence, of the will. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What you find important, that's where you're going to be. And I have been chasing the fulfillment of this loving the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength since I was saved. Since the very moment I've been saved, I've been trying to fulfill this love. I haven't gotten there yet, but it's been worthwhile. Imagine if I did not. It is a worthwhile duty to pour everything into loving God with balance. But loving God, must it, it must continue to love self, not an, not an imbalanced love of self. But we, we love ourselves naturally. You need no effort for that. Jesus said, listen, love your neighbor as yourself. Because I know you love you so much without effort. I don't have to tell you to love you. I've got to tell you to take some of that love and give it to your neighbor. And you'll not lose any of it. You know, the, some would say, you know, a candle doesn't lose any of its own light when it lights another candle. Well, there, that's a good illustration. But I've been chasing this love. But I'm not the only one. Paul said it this way because he chased it too. He says, not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. 
Not that I've already attained or am already perfected. But this one thing I do, and then he goes on to, t- he's telling the Philippians when he writes this in Philippians 3, I'm spending myself loving Christ. And then he told the Corinthians, I am spent and will gladly be spent for you. Sometimes I get tired of being spent. <laughs> I do. I do. Okay, I'm done. And God just says, because <laughs> he knows. I am kept by the power of God, not only for my salvation, but for my service. He Because I can't keep myself. Our God is big and he is awesome. And we love him for it. And Satan's not going to sit down idly and stand for that. He's going to come at it. No matter what you bring to God with your heart, he's going to attack it at some point. If you're in it, if you're in the fight like he did Job, Job was attacked because he was a good man. He was a great man. God was bragging about Job. You check out Job. Nobody liked Job. Loves good, hates evil. I have asked God to not boast about me. And he has said, don't worry about it. (laughs) You're not giving me much. (laughs) So... God put blood in the game when he came and died for us. And he has demanded no less from us in return. With all your heart, again, that that is my mind, that is my, my ability to reason, to make a decision, the way I feel, it is all of me. That's what Christ is saying. He is giving us the definition of the heart when he says mind, soul, uh, with all your heart, mind, soul, uh, you got it. You know, I've already quoted it like five times without looking. (laughs) your soul, your mind, your strength. That's your soul. It is that part of me who is me. And if I'm not born again, I only have a soul. I do not, my spirit is dead. It is not until I am born again does my spirit come alive and now I can interact with God. That dead spirit can interact with hell, but it cannot interact with God in a way that pleases God. He says, with all your soul, and again, I've already pretty much covered that, Uh, If you are unsaved, your soul is empowered with human energy and influenced by Satan from the spiritual realm and not God, unless, of course, God is appealing you to get saved. If you are saved, your soul is empowered and influenced by the Holy Spirit, but it still has to fend off the flesh. So it is that touch of holiness upon the soul that brings us life in Christ and centers our attention upon God. Here's a picture of what happens inside of us from an experience of Moses. You remember, and I love to tell this, I know, Moses did not want to be called into ministry. He had tried to help his people. He realized, you know what, people are a pain in the neck. And he left. And, and God said, yeah, you, too bad they're a pain in the neck. They're a pain in, you know, you're going to still have to work. Eventually, they would be a pain in his hands and his feet and his side. And on his brow, people did all of that to him. And Christ was crucified for us. Anyway, so when Yahweh saw that he had turned aside to look, because God, I guess, yeah, I don't know much about hunting or trapping or things like that, but I have heard that there's two things that really work when it comes to hunting and trapping, and that is bait and wait. <laughs> if you, you bait them and you wait for them, uh, you're going to get them. And so uh, God kind of did that with Moses in the bush that burned. He wanted to grab his attention. 
And Moses said, I got to go and see this thing. He took the bait. And God was waiting. I hope that doesn't sound like I'm trivializing it. I'm magnifying it. So when Yahweh saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And when God says your name twice, something's going on. Not necessarily bad, but it's serious. And he said, here am I. (laughs) Could you look at the look on Moses' face? There's nobody on the mountain and someone's talking to him and he's talking to someone he can't see, just like us. Anyway, then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. Well, what's the next thing Moses did? Took his sandals off. You see, his soul, was his spirit came to life. He's in the presence of God. And God does this to us. And that sense of holiness comes from this type of experience with God. And so Jesus says, with all your mind. Sin always drives us from God. What God desires. Sin is always opposite of what God wants. And it is always harmful. At some point, it is very harmful. And we are better off when we feel better about Jesus Christ. A lot of Christians, they just don't feel good about life. They're always sour. They have life, but they don't have joy. And I I fear that in many of these cases, it's because they're... They're really not centered on Christ, they're centered on self. And I don't say this as, a, as an outsider, as a bystander. Uh, when I'm cast down, I know the steps and I take them. Well, I, don't, I don't suffer with depression too much anymore. Every now and then I feel, I feel it, you know, on the, see it on the horizon and I beat that thing back now. But I learned early on, you know, I'm not going to live this way. And so... As I've said before, when I feel depression coming on, the next sound you hear is the sound of the sword leaving its sheath. I'm going to fight it. I am not going to let it fight me without resistance. And when my mind is on him, then I feel how I feel about myself falls into place. Now, Isaiah says it this way, and I have had problems with this verse, but I've never given up on it. And it is paid off. Isaiah 26. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Because he trusts in you. Now you either believe that or you do not. If you are in a place you say, I believe it, but I don't feel it. Then you've got to work it out. And that's okay. You're in a good space. You are saints. You are separated by the blood of Christ. We have no right. To take the easy way out when the hard way leads to victory. We have no right to say it's too hard and then quit. More is expected of us. How else do you get stronger? How else do we develop? And I'm telling you, I'm getting afraid to preach these things. You know why? Because it seems like I preach them and God says, okay, let's see if you can do it. (laughs) So no, no, it doesn't work that way. I preach it. They do it. And then you tell me more to preach. I preach it. They do it. It's a good system, God. He just hasn't agreed with that. With all your strength. That's the resources of your resolve, of my resolve. The resources that we have. And we have them. You just sometimes have to mind them. You have to dig for them. Feeling a thrill in Jesus' name does not make me a believer by itself. There must be the confession of the faith. 
with energy to grab hold of life in that strength, in that faith, in that belief. Confession of faith is to lead to an answerable life to the confession. I'm taking this from John Bunyan in his Pilgrim's Progress. Confession of faith is to lead to a life answerable to that confession. You said you're a Christian? Okay, let's see it. God help us to believe the things that we confess. God help us to believe and carry out the things that we say we can do. And when you fail, you get up. Satan hates that part. Satan hates that you can get up and that you do get up. How many times have you not, have you felt like, I don't feel like going to church? Probably none here. I know that. But let's just for a moment put ourselves in the place of other churches. Where, where sometimes people, <laughs> I know, it's so goofy. Well, they, I, I don't feel like going to church. And they go anyway. Who just won that skirmish? It wasn't hell. Unless they get to church and cause problems. <laughs> then he goes, another problem. This is the first commandment, Jesus said. Uh, so he lays it out. This, you're to love God with everything you have. These four things are the beginning of the first commandment. Because he's going to say, but it doesn't stop there. The man asks for one commandment. Christ is giving him one answer with two parts of commandments involved. What would Christianity look like if Christ never said such things? If he never said, you shall love the Lord your God with everything you've got. What if he said, ah, you know, just whatever you can. He'd get even less than what we're able to give him. And so, uh, balanced Christianity is critical. It involves duty and sacrifice, which is what Christ meant. We say, take up your cross and follow me. It is your duty, and it is sacrificial, and it is worth it. And to take that away, we get nothing done for Christ. And so the will, that is the duty, and the heart the strength, the feelings are involved, the mind. Passionate action with intelligence, because if you have passion without intelligence, you have fanaticism. That's no good. It has to have truth. Because if you have passion in your faith without truth, you have superstition. Both of those are wrong. I do not want to be a fanatic. Someone who is you know, obsessed, we would say, with a particular uh, passion, but has no truth with it, or not enough truth, just parts of it, fragments, which creates the lie. Um, we see the, you know, the news media do this all the time with truth, how they manipulate with it. Anyway, your heart, soul, mind, strength, this is the first commandment. Collectively, these make up the first, they make up the whole person, the first part of his answer, the whole heart, Put on the whole armor of God, Ephesians 6, 11, verse 31 now. The second is like it, is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. I don't like that one too much, as I've already been very clear about. I'd be lying otherwise. To stand up here and say, let's just love everybody. Well, that would be nice if you could just do it like that. But they're not going to help you all the time. In fact, they're going to work against you many times. God will send them your way, Satan will send them your way, and God will allow Satan, Satan to send them your way, because that's where the fight is. So this first commandment has two parts, according to the Lord, because here, he's not quoting Deuteronomy, 
or the Shema, any part of it, he's now going to Leviticus. It is, it is like he said, well, I'm going to answer your question. And the obvious answer is you love God with everything. But the part that's not so obvious is that you're supposed to love people too. Leviticus 19.18, you shall not take vengeance nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. I am God. And what good is there in loving God if you don't love people who are made in his image in spite of the fall, especially after the fall? That's when it's needed most. I've had friends in my life who were my friends when I needed them most. Even when I didn't know I needed them most. That's a friend. Not when they, 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 they bail on you when, when the going gets tough and they're gone. You can't find them. They won't pick up their phone. But Onesiphorus, Paul said, he sought me out. He looked for me. I was in jail in Rome somewhere. And he found me at grace risk, risk, risk to himself. Anyway, with the devotion uh, to God comes the love for others. It is sometimes like a cross. It is painful. And God's way, whenever God's people, whenever they have got big things done, again, it has not been by taking the easy way out. Uh, Joseph could have taken the easy way out. He did not have to reveal himself to his brothers, but love compelled him. He loved his brothers. He loved his father. And it shows up in the end of the story. And there. There just aren't shortcuts to these things. It's long-term victory. That's why we have words in our Bible such as endurance and persevere. That's what it takes to win. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Very challenging, is it not? Does anybody here say, ah, oh, that's easy? Because <laughs> you need counseling. <laughs> you haven't been in the fight then. Now, granted, it does come easier to some. Some just seem to be able to love more effectively, uh, but the uh, great many do not. What about, you know, there are Christians that think that they can, they can love others, they just don't have to love their spouse. Where does that come from? It comes from hell. It comes from nowhere else. That you can go to church and you can love on every, the people you choose to love, but when you get home or you get in the car, you can hate on the other one. Praise the Lord. Sarcasm. Hopefully, if someone is guilty and they're saying, that got me, I am convicted. And that is God speaking to me. And that is God speaking to me because he loves me. And he doesn't want to leave me the way he found me on this matter. And so I'm going to do my part. I am going to love. And again, I had hoped to master, have had mastered this love thing by now. And I ask myself, am I difficult to love? Uh, don't answer, because of course I am. But just, you know, you should ask yourselves. Uh, am I difficult to love? I do ask myself, is there something about me? And then I say, well, I, this and that and the other one. Well, I can't fix that. No, I don't. I don't do that. That would be counterproductive. God show it to you. You say, yeah, I see it, but it's not going to happen. We don't do that, uh, no matter how long it takes. <clears throat> and Christ here summarizing... The, the Mosaic Law, com, uh, making a compound verse uh, out of these two verses, com, putting them together. No one but Jesus has ever truly loved God with all his heart, soul, mind, and strength. 
Only him. No one but Jesus has truly loved his neighbor as himself. No one but Christ could give everything he's got for the Father's will. And he knows this. But he doesn't excuse me from trying. In fact, he demands it. It is an imperative. You shall love your neighbor. If you don't have love, you are nothing. I'm quoting scripture verses. You shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Well, what's the, what's the opposite? You should be okay? Like who? I mean, if he, has, if he doesn't set the standard as, with, as God, then who should you be like? Uh, you should be like David, who really loved me but failed. Well, the truth is, I don't want to be like that. I may be like that, but I don't want to be like that. And this has made the church successful. So love fulfills God's will. Paul said this to the Romans, Oh, no one anything except to love one another. That's why I borrow money from people. I don't owe you anything. I love you. Okay. (laughs) I know. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. Notice they're all in the negative. You shall not bear false witness. You shall not covet. Well, that's a big one. You should not want more than what God's giving you, right? And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love, now it goes to the positive, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Love may do harm to me. Well, it did it to Jesus. It was his love. You know, there's a group out there, they'll say, well, God only loves the elect. People who have that position have elected to be wrong. Because if that was true, then he could never have said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Uh, He loved the whole world, and no man has the right to say, well, that's only the elect. It says the world. If he wanted to say, God so loved the elect that he gave his only begotten son. No, he loves the world. And this is the love that we are to pursue. It is a good system. Uh, It is very easy to love religion. That's what the Pharisees and Sadducees were doing. It is very easy to love doing things for, in God's name. It is easy to love places. Oh, I love Jerusalem or whatever it may be. It is easy to love pets. Because pets won't treat you like people will treat you as a rule. But that's not what he's demanding. We still have to love people more, like it or not. You cannot hide behind those things And be without guilt. Jesus said to Peter, Simon, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? The scripture doesn't say what Christ was referring to when he says more than these. Was it the fish? Was it the other disciples? What was it? It purposely omits what it was because we are to fill in the blank. If there's anything we love more than Christ, if there's anything we love more than people, then something has gotten in the way. And God has made us in his own image. And he has also died to keep us out of hell. Genesis 9, whoever sheds man's blood, this man, his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God, he made them. He says that later on after the creation of man to remind us he's not forgotten this. It doesn't go away. It's still there. 
This is duty and sacrifice. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Again, I have not been able to pull it off. However, if I've gotten anything done for Christ, it is because of that. If I've made any progress as a believer, it is because I'm commanded to love. And if he had not commanded me to love, things would look would look nothing like Christianity. Well, I see that I'm out of time almost, and so I need to finish this up. Uh, just to remind you, Christian love is like a high antenna. It transmits, and it receives, and it also draws lightning from hell. And if you are loving, you're going to be attacked. If you are not loving, you are already attacked. It is no way around it. Sin is the great separator of man from God. However, the cross is a greater separator than sin because it separates us from the judgment of sin. And uh, this then is about loving the Christ. We'll take verse 32. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God and there is no other but he. The Lord could have said, I really don't need your approval, but he's too loving for that. And that's not what he wanted. He wanted this man to say this and others to hear it. And for us too, verse 33, the man continues to love him with all the heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, with all the strength. To love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. David said it this way after his great sin with Bathsheba. I mean, he killed Uriah, and he just, you, know the, you know the story. And he writes Psalm 51, and he says, For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. If it was that simple to bring a bull down to the temple and have all of this go away, I would have done that. He continues, he says, You do not delight in burnt offerings, not under these circumstances, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. You go to the Lord and say, I have been mean to my spouse. I have been so selfish. And I'm not getting out of life what I want, which brings a, a, the, the avalanche of depression. I'm, life's not giving me what I want. I deserve more. Look and see what God wants from your life and do that and watch what begins to happen. You'll still struggle, but... It will have meaning. Verse 34. Now when Jesus saw that, he answered wisely. He said to him, you're not far from the kingdom of God. But after that, no one dared question him. He was not far. Why wasn't he all the way in? Because he had not said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Hey, Nathaniel got it. Peter got it. And Christ is not that this man did not eventually get it. But again, uh, you have to surrender to Jesus Christ because he has no plan of sa salvation without surrender. Just think how many, how much I cut out on my notes. We could be here a whole other hour easily and I wouldn't break a sweat. Uh, let's pray. You, on the other hand, would have a different reaction. Uh, let's pray. <laughs> our Father, to love you with all our heart, with all our mind and strength, it really does not leave room for much, much else. And it is a wonderful invitation. But may we approach such high verses and commandments with sobriety. May we not just sort of 
trot into your presence with these things as if they were going to be easy. There's going to be pain and blood and sacrifice and all of the things that we would rather avoid. May we understand it is an honor to love you and it is an honor to be given an opportunity to love as you loved, as your Son is formed in us. May you help us, Lord. We need it. This morning, if you have never opened your heart to Christ, you've never loved him, you are lost in your sin. And you know it. All sinners know that they are sinners. Some go to great length to try to deny this basic truth about ourselves. If you would like to receive the Lord Jesus Christ, to have your sins removed and to be brought into his service as his child and disciple, then you must make the confession, make it clear. The first step is you must admit that he is Lord. If you make this prayer, you say, Lord Jesus I do turn away from control over my own life and I come to you. I ask you to forgive me for breaking your commandments, for sinning. There's nowhere else to go. There's no one else who loves me like you do, who died for me as you did, and who has risen again to take away the judgment from me, the judgment to come. And I give my life to you and I ask from this day forward that not only would you be the one that is the savior of my soul, but the one who is the Lord over my life. The wages of sin is death, but love in Christ Jesus takes away the sin. Now, Father, we commit commit these things into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen.